Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, Bud, we've got a little bit of blend of scrimmage news. We had some breaking news regarding the athletic director position. We'll take a momentary reprieve from kind of our position preview series and just give kind of a uh, more informational update. So excited to uh, jump into this. As always, want to thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Uh, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Uh, thank you to you, the listener, for all the support that you've given them. And uh, as always, want to uh, remind people as to their uh, importance to the podcast and and how instrumental they've been in us being able to evolve this product over time. Absolutely, man. I, great audience out there and, and a great, great cast of, of sponsors that we have on this show. All right, let's just start with it. The offense absolutely beat the heck out of the defense on that scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, I know the quotes from the coaches and the players afterwards were sort of reflective of that, but uh, but they got out there and just flat embarrassed him. It was not close. Uh, they scored basically at will. This is according to multiple people I've, I've talked to who were there, and it was uh, it was kind of a, a bit of an embarrassment for FSU's defense and, and a point of pride for the offense. As we know, the offense had had been uh, behind the defense for most of the uh, of the fall camp, which is, is typical, I think, in a lot of a lot of college settings. Uh, but uh, in this case, they they really took it to them. And, and we should set the set the table here. There were a lot of guys who didn't play in the scrimmage. Some of them because of injury. Some of them because they, they have their starting spots essentially locked down and they don't want to be risked uh, for, for injury, especially guys at positions which are very thin. Uh, all three quarterbacks did go, but uh, Cam Akers and, and uh, Kalon LeBourne did not go at running back. At receiver, Terry didn't go, uh, as, as far as I understand. Nyquan Murray didn't go, and neither did DJ Matthews. So you had a real cast of backups there at receiver. Uh, Cole Minshew did not go for the uh, on the offensive line, I believe. Defensive line, Marvin Wilson didn't go. Also, Josh Kando did not go. Josh Kando continues to not be involved in uh, contact work in practice. And uh, at this point, I think you got to be a little bit concerned about him uh, as the season approaches. He, even if he gets back to contact very soon, uh, you, you got to think he's going to be incredibly rusty. And then at linebacker, Dontavious Jackson did not go. Obviously, he's the one guy we think has a starting spot locked up for a, a very poor linebacker unit for FSU, at least so far through camp. And then a defensive back, um, Stanford Samuels didn't go for the, the whole time, at least. Uh, he was seen on media day, by the way, Sunday, in a rather large knee brace. Um, so some concern there. Uh, I, I asked around on a source on that, and they told me that, that it's not going to be something serious where it's season ending or anything like that. But as for a timetable, uh, the, my source didn't have a uh, didn't have a definitive timetable to give on that. And also, A.J. Westbrook did not go. So your two starting safeties uh, were out. And I mean, I guess we'll just start with it. The, the middle of the defense really got tore up here. Uh, from what I was told, the, the corners held up pretty well, but your, your quarterbacks really picked on the middle of the defense using the slot receivers, hitting backs out of the backfield, and, and also hitting the tight ends. Uh, and the offense really operated Ingram at, at great tempo. I know they're saying, hey, we're going to go at the tempo we want to go at. We're not just trying to run 100 plays, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're right. You can't run 100 plays if, if, if you're running the ball 65% of the time, which is what they'll probably be doing. The clock runs when you do that. It, most of these teams that are able to get to 100 plays are, are your Texas Tech-type offenses of the world who are going to throw the ball and 
and stop the clock a whole bunch after incomplete passes. Uh, but man, I, I was told that the, the tempo was quick and uh, and they, they were very creative and they were able to scheme open guys pretty wide open uh, a lot. And then some missed tackles compounded some of those things and really, uh, really helped helped the offense light up the scoreboard. So a question to ask of you, and obviously they've, the defense has certainly seen the offense. So maybe this is a slightly more game-like scenario as far as the speed. Do you think some of this was just the first first time that this defense has, has tried to line up against uh, what is relatively a new look to them and people are adjusting uh, to things? Or is uh, is this just a, a byproduct of some particular mismatches and, and people being out that created uh, created kind of a, an odd advantage for the offense? You know, this is interesting because we've spoken about this, and I think a lot of FSU fans are like, oh, well, well, now that we have a new defensive coordinator, we won't struggle with tempo anymore. And that's not necessarily the case. All defenses are worse somewhat against tempo than they are against slow because it gives you less time to react and less time to think. So I, I think it's a combination of the offense breaking out some new stuff, uh, the offense going faster and more co- uh, cohesive and organized than it has been prior to, you know, prior days in camp. Uh, and then also some guys on defense being out. I mean, some of your defensive leaders in the middle uh, were out who I would expect to be considerably better than the players who you actually had there um, in the scrimmage. But I think you also got you got decent quarterback play on the day. Um, we, we've been pretty steadfast that the, this quarterback position doesn't have a superstar in it, but it does have a very high floor. You have three guys who I think you feel pretty confident could come or confident could come in and, and play at a decent to high level. Uh, and on the day, I, from what I was told, DeAndre Francois was the best of them. Now, has he figured out all of his accuracy issues? No. He still had several throws, I was told, uh, where he just missed guys who were, were very open. But so did James Blackman, and so did Bailey Hockman. And as we've said, if it's off the field, antics and behavior are, are righted to the satisfaction of Coach Taggart, which they appear to be, well, then the tie is going to go to the runner. And in this case, the best runner of this group is DeAndre Francois. Now, I'm not saying this is a tie and that his legs are the only tiebreaker, but I think right now he's a little bit better throwing the ball than the other two guys because they, they both had had bad misses as well. Hockman, arm strength, you know, maybe not quite there like it is with Blackman or, or, or Francois. And I think he's made good strides since the spring, certainly being able to work in the offense more uh, has helped him a good bit. So at this point, if I had to project, I would go with DeAndre as the quarterback. I mean, Willie Taggart's not going to make that announcement today or anything, but uh, as they continue to evaluate throughout fall practice, I, I think that's becoming uh, a little bit more clear. But I don't think the gap is is enormous. Uh, nobody's like like standing out and just grabbing this job up, you know, and, and just taking the reins and, and, and distancing themselves from everybody else by by leaps and bounds. Interesting. It, it does seem to be the trend uh, that it's becoming more and more 12's job. Uh, and if if he does come back and win that, I would be the first to congratulate him. Uh, quite the quite the turnaround that he has pulled off. I did have people tell me that, that maybe Francois didn't have quite the day that they first thought he did when they went back and looked a little bit more. I'm not trying to uh, muddy the waters or anything else like this. I, I still do think there's a little bit more to play out uh, in this process, but uh, I'm I'm in complete agreement with you. If uh, if Coach Taggart was waking up tomorrow morning and deciding a, a starting quarterback, it would almost certainly be Francois. 
I, I totally agree with you there. Um, I, I do believe here that you know part of this is I don't I don't know that that Blackman has necessarily taken the step that people were hoping he would. Um, obviously, you hope all players are are, are going to take steps and, and develop, and I don't know that he has improved by leaps and bounds over where he was last year. Um, so that's certainly impacting this quarterback race a lot. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. You, you're, you're right. None of those guys were, were perfect on the day. I, I can assure you of that. A lot of it was the explosive plays that this offense wants to create. You don't have to necessarily be a surgeon at all times to be effective in this offense. And uh, and they weren't, and yet yet they still moved the ball and, and, and scored uh, – Scored some big time points. Um, part of that too was was these running backs, man. That you you didn't have Acres and, and Laborn, and yet they still ran well. They they fed Jacques Patrick. He ran hard. Uh, they I tell you that the Anthony Grant kid, the running back that, that they got last year, as, as kind of a I don't want to use the term late round flyer, but certainly they they got in on him kind of late. And uh, you know it's fantasy football season, so I guess late round flyer is uh, is appropriate to to throw around there as a term, but. Uh, he was not a kid who was highly sought after, and yet uh, I had a guy compare him to Mark Ingram. Not talent-wise, but style. Compact runner, efficient runner, uh, low to the ground, and and kind of a thicker kid who, who caused you know, people some trouble. I, I know he he absolutely embarrassed some uh, some veteran defensive backs there uh, who probably got, probably got quite the earful, uh, I'm guessing, from Harlan Barnett in the defensive meeting room. Um, when they put that tape on and, and they saw those missed tackles from some of those more, more veteran defensive backs who, who he embarrassed in the open field. Um, but I'm I'm excited about those guys, too. They, they have a really, really nice depth of talent there at the position, as we talked about in our running back preview. Grant's a, a kid that I'd, I'd heard previously positive things on. I think I mentioned that either last pod or the one previously. But uh, he's just a guy that, uh, you know, if you're going to get a, a running back that's choosing between – either playing running back or playing linebacker you kind of hope that uh he he retains some of the the better facets of the position that he chooses not to play and uh man grant absolutely wants to hit you and if you're coming up from the secondary uh he he more looks at you as like the ability to do damage to somebody in the open field as if a linebacker would uh he he certainly retains that and uh he he has the ability to impart shots and, and blows on people as he gets into the secondary. So uh, not somebody that you're going to be able to just walk up and, and bring down. And it doesn't surprise me that he's already made some people look silly. Yeah, man, that, that's extremely encouraging considering he's probably your number five running back. It's a lot of, lot of, lot of rich man problems when it comes to talking about the, the rotation of running backs this year. 100%. So at receiver Ingram, uh, some, some very exciting news given the fact that they – they had a big time day. Now, not outside. I, I heard the corners did a great job overall, but 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 the interior of the defense kind of got torched consistently. And it was young guys, man. It was it was young guys, including Keyshawn Hilton. Seems to be the uh, the story of camp so far. When it, at least when it comes to that particular position, he has uh, he's more than made the most of his opportunity. And man, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how much uh, with a coaching staff how much like hype that comes from camp actually transitions itself out into the field in the first three or four games of a season but if what's uh if what's going on in practice is an indicator of what might go on on uh on saturday and and protect and one monday night in particular uh Keyshawn helton's a name that the broader fan base is going to get familiar with pretty quickly 
So check this out. I I think if you go back and watch Helton in high school, what did he do well? He was extremely quick. He caught the ball well for his size. Now he is a very undersized guy. He's he's tiny. The top end speed looked good, but you know, not necessarily amazing. Um, and he really understood, I think, how to use space to his advantage. Right, a guy who who could sit down against his own defense and and work his way into the void and, and present a target for the quarterback. It seems like like all those things are just immediately translating, despite the fact that there's a huge step up in competition for Helton. That is really encouraging for them. We also know about, about Harrison, the true freshman receiver, who's one of the absolute stud athletes on the team. Look, you got a guy like that, you got to find a way to get the ball in his hands, whether it's on reaches or, or, or the jet motion or bubble screens or, or, or whatever you want to do. But getting that guy in space – is going to lead to points on, on, on the scoreboard, and indeed it did in the scrimmage. So uh, big time, big time thing uh, for Treshawn Harrison there. You know, I was told Keith Gavin had a nice catch or two. Ontario Wilson also went deep and, and had a bomb on a coverage bust. So it, I tell you, it's interesting that that they put up all these points without the three receivers who we think are going to be the starters if they're healthy come uh, come Labor Day night really is you you have to think it's only uh an encouraging thing about the depth of the position and what may lie in front uh as far as future production but um you know there's always in the back of your mind whenever you're you're praising one group what it what it might mean for the other that they faced uh in a scrimmage situation and maybe we'll be getting closer to uh talks about some of those here as we round our way over to defense but bud for the last uh offensive group we'll look at real quickly the uh the offensive lineman and what we took from their play from the scrimmage. Absolutely, dude. So, offensive line played fairly well, I was told. Now, look, they're, they're going to have, have some pressures that given up. Um, we, we do not expect this team to be a good third down long team. Uh, it, you know, just dr- pure drop back passing is not really a focus of this offense. It's also not something that fits this offense's skill set, if you, if you look at it, which is kind of interesting because that's honestly – what they were recruited to do uh, under their previous staff. However, the, the skills fit a, a different offense, an offense that, that I believe more more accurately is embodied by what Coach Taggart and Coach Bell are running up there in Tallahassee now. But uh, this this is interesting, man. They really did a, a good job up front, I was told. Um, specifically, they did a better job handling blitz and twists and stunts and just kind of, any kind of – extra rushers or, or defensive line motion, they handled better than they had throughout camp. I think that was a noticeable difference just in terms of like, hey, what all right, what was different? What did y'all do well? And they're like, well, we, we, we picked up the blitz a lot better. Like, oh, that's, that's encouraging. And that's that's obviously backs have something to do with that too. And that's encouraging that, that your young backs and, and your veteran backs are also involved in that. But there's also an element here, and we're going to talk about this more in the offensive line preview, when we record it, but there is a large element here. I, I don't think this offensive line group is more talented than last year's. In fact, I think it's less talented. But they are doing a better job of doing things that help out the offensive line. There is no doubt in my mind that the previous staff's play calling uh, put the offensive line at a disadvantage. Far too often, the opposing defensive line could pin its ears back and come after the quarterback. They did very few read plays. They did very few things to actually hold the defensive line and make them be a little, make them hesitate a little bit. Make them, you know, wait a second. 
now with how many read plays they're doing, how much play action they're using, and including the RPO game, now if you're on defense, you can't be quite as aggressive against Florida State because you have to worry, oh, wait, this might not be what it seems. It's, it's not so straightforward. And there will be things about this offense that are not as good as what Jimbo's was, and there will be things, probably more things, I, I think, um, that will be better. And this is one of those areas that, which I do expect it to be better. If you took Landon Dickerson and Juwan Williams as tackles and you put them into this offense, last year's offense, and said, okay, is your starting tackles, that would be an absolute disaster. But as it is, I don't think they're going to be running more than about 10 or 15% pure drop-back plays without the benefit of play action or run action. You know, that's just not something that they're likely to be doing. Um, also, uh, as a backup, I was told Arthur Williams, the converted defensive tackle, had a really nice day at guard. So that's kind of cool to see. Um, that, that would be a not a game-changer. Don't want to be hyperbolic, but that would be, uh, that would be quite the thing that would – give you some hope or some optimism that might not exist otherwise if, if you start to see somebody like that come online or obviously Williams is not uh, anyone that's uh, lacking uh, physical gifts or a big massive frame and if that guy starts to pick up playing an interior offensive line at all that would be be quite the asset uh, that maybe people hadn't otherwise thought could uh, could make itself make itself available for you. You know, and I'm just thinking thinking out loud here, but look, I, I'm not one of these people that believes this strength program is is better or worse than the old strength program. Most strength programs, just like most workout regimens, just about buy-in. Who is buying in? Are you, are you getting complete buy-in? And Arthur, just looking at him, looking at what he was in high school and, and looking at him now, he is a guy that, that I, I sit here and wonder, like, man, I wonder – you know, if he was a guy who'd been in this strength program and, and had the buy-in uh, that that he needed to have, in, instead of what had happened over the last couple of years, is his career different? Because he certainly put on a good amount of bad weight in the last couple of years, and uh, and it slimmed down, you know, a little bit. But uh, you just wonder those those lost years of development and uh, what do we call them? A developmental dele- dele- or developmental deficit, right? I think that that that's just something to think about. There's a couple guys on this roster as well who uh, who that applies to. But uh, we should probably stop here, by the way, and uh, give you our second message of the night, and that's uh, that we want to see y'all at the Nolcast Bar Crawl. That's right, we have a Nolcast Bar Crawl. Anchor. When is it? It's the day before Labor Day. That'll be fun. Where is it? It's going to be at Madison Social Township. And Central. So check this out. You guys know where those are. Those are those are our sponsor restaurants in College Town, in Tallahassee. We know a lot of y'all are going to be in town Labor Day weekend. You got the Virginia Tech game on Monday night. You want to come see us Sunday, two to four. That's Sunday, two to four. That's check in. Then what will we, we'll be doing? We'll be bar crawling until about seven. Tickets are twenty bucks. Why do you have to buy a ticket? Well, this is kind of cool too. With the ticket. You get some stuff. You get a proof Madison Social at Madison Social. You get a proof Mango Wit at Central, and you get a proof Warpath IPA. That's all proof brewing stuff. Great brewery. When you go to Township, and you get a special Nolcast koozie. Punning is bunning koozie. So I'm very excited to have that. Where do you go to get this? MadisonSocial.com/slash/gameday. 
dash bar dash crawl. That's madisonsocial.com slash game day dash bar dash crawl. This is going to be a good time. I, I know we've already sold, what, over 100 of y'all are coming. We expect to have a couple hundred of y'all. should be a really good time. We, we, we are able to do it once in the spring. This will be an even better time because it's more of a bar crawl. It's more of an extended event. They were so excited with the response that we had in spring that they decided to to expand for us. Uh, great partnership we have with Madison Social and, and Township and, and, and the four of the table restaurant group. So, so go check those out and, and make make sure to get your tickets. And when you get your tickets, tweet at us. Let us know you've got them, and, and we'll be extremely excited. And uh, can't wait to throw a few back with y'all. Can't wait. Can't wait to uh, meet some more of the listeners. Just had a great time in spring. Uh, we'll have an opportunity to watch the uh, Miami-LSU game that comes on uh, later on that night. I've convinced myself, Bud, that I'm going to be thrilled with the outcome of that game regardless. Uh, if uh, Miami loses, well, Miami will have lost. And if Miami wins, I think I've just uh, decided I'm just going to start thinking about a particular offensive guard from Baton Rouge and how that uh, can only only help us in, in our pursuit. So I think I've, uh, I think I've found a, a good place with, with whatever that ultimate result might be from that game. Your zen on this game is, is really impressive, Anger. I like that a lot. All right, bud, I'll make our way, look at the uh, defensive groups and what we took from the particular scrimmage. Uh, we'll start in defensive line. This, another, uh, like all these positions, was a place where they saw some of their, uh, some of the more talented individuals abstain from play. But uh, what, did, what did you take from Saturday when you look at the front line of the defense? Well, I, I took away that uh, this defense is very much what we thought it was for the most part. I think their secondary is going to be pretty good. Obviously, if Samuels is is hurt, you know, and has to miss games, that, then that would be bad. But this defense has got to have its defensive line dominate if it's going to be if it's going to be good if it's going to improve. And I'm not sure that it is going to be better than last year's defense. To be honest, these linebackers are an absolute liability. I know we've received a lot of hate for saying these linebackers are, are, are not good. Guys, they're not good. They are not good. They, they, don't, they don't trigger. They're soft. They don't play downhill. And they miss tackles. Other than that, they're fantastic. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being honest with you. I've had multiple people tell me now who have been able to, to be there at practice. These guys don't play well. They're not good players right now. Now, maybe they turn into good players miraculously with, with 10 more days at camp. And maybe you, know, you have some guys that, that move around. But I, I got to suggest here something. I know it's, it would be drastically undersized. But if you're Harlan Barnett, you got to be thinking about saying, all right, screw it. Djax is going to be our starter at middle. We already knew that. Cool. Uttered Nat. Hey, Jaden Woodby and, uh, and DeKalen Brooks. You're in there. At least you trigger an attack downhill. If the guys who are bigger are still going to play soft, what's the point of having that size in there? If they're if they're not not recognizing and, and triggering and attacking and trying to stop the run like this defense wants them to do. Uh, but but then you know, look at to me. I don't think you can expect much out of this linebacker group this year. I do not think they're going to be better than last year. You've got to have the defensive line dominate, and without Marvin Wilson in there and without uh, Josh Kando in there, this defensive line is not better than it was last year. You need your five stars to be in the lineup. And so that, I think that was a significant part of the scrimmage and, and something that, that can't be overlooked. 
they also really missed Derek Naughty a whole lot. That, that guy was an extremely good player for, I mean, gosh, over a thousand career snaps for sure. And uh, and and now he's with the Kansas City Chiefs and apparently having a pretty good camp there. And look, was just an excellent college player. And and they do miss him an awful lot more than I think a lot of the fans, at least based on the email and feedback we get, more more than uh, more than they realize. And and maybe we should have emphasized it more as a show. But uh, but they're getting gashed, man. Um, and it, it's uh, they, they need this defensive line to dominate to to compensate for the shortcomings of the linebackers. And then also at safety, the the safeties have to tackle better. That That's just some, something that, that was just – and, you, and you, you heard Harlan Burnett talk about it on media day and, and how he was just very disappointed. Um, now, I, I know both the safeties in there were backups. I, I, I get that. But apparently they just missed way too many tackles. And so that's something that's going to have to be, uh, be addressed. The other thing about this, though, by the way – is that I know a lot of Florida State's backups were in. And and th- this will be different on game day. But this offense, the way it puts defenders in space and isolates them, all alone, no help coming for them, this is fun to watch. I've, I've, I've seen them do it at Baylor. Obviously, it's a different thing, but the alignment-wise, it, it's very similar. It's kind of similar to what UCF is going to be doing this year as well. Putting those guys in space like that and then running at tempo like that, that's got to be a lonely feeling if, if, if you're a linebacker walked out on, on one of the receivers or, or if you're a safety over there. That's got to be very tough for you, and, and I, I think that's a large a large reason why they're able to get those, those explosive plays, especially when you combine it with tempo. But I feel like you kind of uh, organically touched on a little bit of every level of the defense there. Linebackers probably speaks for itself, and, and we'll be having the linebacker preview fairly soon we can talk more about it um anything else at at defensive back uh you want to touch on before we transition to other topics yeah i i do think that it's going to be interesting to see what what, what they do there uh, i've had people just like you have say hey maybe homsa could play some linebacker i don't know that he wants to play linebacker and, and i don't think he's that far off from from being a good safety you know like like the safeties have some inconsistency issues that that it's not the same thing as, as the backers, at least from what I've been told. Obviously, the scrimmages are closed, so I'm not at them. It's just, you know, you got to be um, – you got to do your journalism thing and, and talk to sources on the staff who are at the scrimmages. Uh, and, you, and you hope the coaches will just be straight with you. So I, I think that they are. Um, but I, I think Hopsa could be a, a valuable member of, of this defense this year. And, uh, you know, and you hope that all, all the safeties are able to, uh, to improve their tackling a little bit, come in a little more controlled and, and not just uh, not wild and miss. Yeah, yeah. Uh, coming up with, with air when you're playing that position is, uh, is quite, the, quite the situation if it, uh, if it finds itself created. That's, uh, you can't, can't swing and miss when you're the last, last line of the defense. There's also I, – I was just told that there was a lot of creative stuff that they were doing on offense – that I don't think the defense has seen so far. And obviously, I'm not going to get into that here because I, I don't think it's very fair to uh, – I mean, look, you don't want to burn your sources, right? Like, this is the same reason about why you don't you don't write about trick plays even if you see them at practice, and, and unless it's in the open period or something like that, which we don't do. So, uh, that's kind of all I got on the scrimmage. We'll have more in-depth with, with the position previews coming. But uh, uh, overall, I think it was actually a very encouraging scrimmage for FSU. 
because we, I think you you have to think the defense is going to be a lot better when, when they get their studs back or their, their starters back in the lineup. And the offense finally taking to the defense after a camp that had been mostly dominated by the defense is very encouraging because it shows a team that, that can maybe excel on both sides of the football. All right, bud. I uh, had some rather significant news break today that uh, appears as though Florida State's athletic director, Stan Wilcox, will be uh, leaving and taking the uh, job. Not that I expect people to be super familiar with the NCAA hierarchy, but the job that was previously occupied by Oliver Luck, and uh, that appears to be uh, coming to fruition pretty quickly. So I know the search for a new AD has, has already begun, and uh, we had a couple different questions about this throughout the course of the day. Uh, one emailer wrote, uh, with the departure of Florida State Athletic Director Stan Wilcox, could you all speak of AD's general responsibilities and how Florida State might rank as a good or bad gig? and specific challenges and strengths that the Knowles AD must have or may have. Uh, after Googling, there doesn't appear to be much good information to even form an opinion. I figured the one and only Knollcast, famous Louisiana pod sauce, could bring some resolution for the table of listeners. That was a creative ending there. And, uh, yeah, so Wilcox's departures was certainly a, uh, a popular piece of conversation on the day among amongst those in the fan base. Yeah, okay, so... Uh, number one, I think most of the people who I speak with uh, who are power players at the university, and obviously we have a decent number of those sources since we were able to uh, you know, break the Willie Taggart news and, and we're all over the co- coaching search. I, I think that longtime listeners understand who we're talking to here in general, not specifically, obviously. Uh, they seem to like Stan for the most part. Now, I know a lot of fans did not like Stan because Stan was not really like the, the public-facing part of the university. He, he was a very quiet guy. He liked to observe and, and then kind of work behind the scenes. Um, and he was not always necessarily the, the spokesperson for FSU, but I, I would rate him highly uh, as an administrator. Um, as a fundraiser, I don't know that I would rate him extremely highly. Uh, and then as a uh, as a spokesperson, he, he it really just wasn't his style. But overall, I think he did a, a, a good job. And, and most of the people were Pretty happy with him. Florida State existed uh, relatively scandal-free throughout his tenure and won a whole lot of games in almost every sport. And I think that uh, most of the coaches who had to deal with him uh, like him. Now, obviously, some uh, did not, but uh, they are at different schools now. So, uh, interesting question there. There's a lot of different things an athletic director does. They they deal with budgetary issues. They deal with uh, relationships with the conferences, they deal with, with relationship with, with, with your staff, hiring and firing head coaches. Uh, they deal with all sorts of compliance issues. Did I already say budget? Because if so, that, that's a huge one. They also have, have a lot to do with, with boosters and booster relationships and, and understanding uh, what kind of money is coming from the boosters, which projects can be funded and, and undertaken, and which ones cannot. It, it's really a... a, a it's an administrator position that also has a decent bit of PR to it, uh, fundraising to it, um, and understanding business. Increasingly, it is a position that is more business-oriented. Um, also important to note what it is not. It is not a job that is automatically well-suited for a former coach or player, right? This is something. This is a real market change because we used to see 
coaches, when they got done coaching, they, they, they used they to be kind of They would kind of graduate ADs. into the AD position. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that that is no longer the case. It, it is a distinctly different skill set now to be an AD than it is to be a coach. Um, I will point this, though, on, on TomLockNation.com, uh, our, our written website here on SB Nation. Uh, Lou Chach uh, had, had a really good comment. He said, this is a way, way better job than when he took it. The football coach who was an athletic director's nightmare is gone. That's very true. Uh, got to distance himself from the clown show athletic director who preceded him. That, that is very true. Randy Spetman was, was not qualified for the FSU job, in my opinion. Uh, no lingering doubts about the ACC's stability. That's true. Remember, they had all the conference expansion stuff back in the day. Uh, ACC network about to come online with presumable additional revenue. Also true. ACC football profile much higher after Florida State and Clemson have won titles and Miami seems to have his act together. A lot of, quote, difficult to sell basketball upgrades have been done. Uh, and Mike Martin decision has been made as far as whether he will be retained. That's actually a heck of a list, come to think of it. Um, I would add that a lot of facility upgrades on the football side have already been made, too. I mean, if you think about the last real big ones, uh, they are going to do the standalone football facility. I mean, that would have probably been done faster had you not had the misguided uh, sort of knee-jerk Jimbo requested uh, more renovations and, and then, you know, 18 months later decides that that's not the one he wanted. Um, much like the practice fields not being, uh, you know, how he wanted once he wanted the indoor, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's a good list. I, I think Florida State is a very attractive job. Uh, I would also add that it's not a job that comes with the pressure of some of these more lunatic fringe SEC-style fan bases, in my opinion. Um, you know, you, you don't have the Feinbaum-style callers in, in the FSU fan base to the extent that you do at an Alabama or a Tennessee or, or something like that, where it's the only show in town. It's the only thing people think about 24-7. So I, I think – do we answer the question that the, uh, the listener had? Yeah, I believe so. I mean uh... – Florida, how might Florida State's job rank? It's a very good job. Now, I know a lot of people earlier on Twitter were taken back by something that Dan Wolken said about the position and referenced Seminole boosters, and that, and that's a very legitimate point. Uh, his last sentence, I argued, and that it makes it uh, very difficult to get things done. It, it's a it's a challenge, but look, if you haven't been to Tallahassee in a couple of years, you'll be blown away by how many how many things have happened recently. So. Uh, progress is made. Uh, it is a little bit of a different wrinkle, but Florida State has a ton of strengths that it can sell on its own. It's it's kind of similar to the conversation about the head coach position. It's it's just a school that is. Um, I would say Florida State is one of the top five brands in college athletics. When you think about schools that are synonymous with college athletics, uh, obviously we've seen the success of the Olympic sports recently. We've talked about what the softball team has done and the girls soccer team has legitimately some of the better female players uh, in the world for that age that happened to come and play in Tallahassee uh, the basketball program has found good footing recently um, it's an elite program that is a uh, one of the marquee jobs in in all of college athletics and uh, yes there's some complicated issues but Florida State is not going to uh, be lack of Lacking people that are have a, a very real interest and a, a want to uh, to take the athletic director position. Exactly correct. And the other thing you got you got to think about there was was Vulcan hacked? 
Like, like did, did a certain former coach just send that tweet directly from his account? Because uh, I think that would be the one time, uh, one time said individual would ever dip his toes into social media. Uh, that would be hilarious. Oh, oh, oh like, are we, are we going to pretend like he didn't have a Twitter account? Because I, I know, uh, I know some stuff there as far as usernames on websites and stuff that are, are uh, yeah. Um, anyway, just thinking about this. I think you are going to see that uh, FSU boosters, while it is a unique setup that they exist independently of the school, they work a lot better when you go to them with a plan, when you go to them and say, hey, I believe we need this. This is why we need it. I have already spoken with uh, several several of our top major uh, donors, and they are on board. Uh, I would like to get a feasibility survey done. That is something that I believe a new head coach has done. The old head coach would go in and just pound his fifth on the table and, uh, you know, complain about what, why does you know Alabama have this and we don't, and why can't we have it tomorrow, um, without a real coherent plan. And even if it totally conflicted with something that he yelled and screamed for just a few short months prior, uh, so yeah, I, I don't think that Vulcan tweet is entirely accurate. Uh, as far as the uh, the difficulty of working with FSU boosters, but like you said, it, it certainly is uh, it is complicated. We'll have to see. You know, Wilcox did a good job uh, for the most part. There were some that very much loved him, some that didn't uh, appreciate him at all. That's probably going to happen in general when you run a large athletic program like Florida State. You're never going to have uh, unanimous support, uh, but uh, certainly a guy that took the helm of the athletic uh, programs and did his best by Florida State and uh, I don't know that he'll be remembered for years to come but did a get a great time or did a good job during his limited time while in Tallahassee uh, we'll we'll be able to follow this uh, not that Florida State athletic director search is something that you know sets records uh, listens or interest but uh, we'll we'll probably have a pretty close uh, close idea as to how this process plays itself out and we will uh, certainly keep you guys as uh, up-to-date as possible. And with that, Bud, let's move to the uh, kind of third thing that we wanted to talk tonight. And uh, we won't go long form on this by any means, but did want to devote a couple minutes to a recent anonymous coaching survey that was uh, put out by CBS Sports. Yeah, that was uh, pretty ridiculous. But what's not ridiculous is Rezl's Home Loans, who we are very proud to have back for another season, Resolution Home Loans. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Chad and Shannon are, are absolutely great Knowles who want to help you get a home loan. They want to walk you through every step of the process, and, and they want to do, do their, their almost home guarantee. They want to get you closed fast, and they want to get you closed and have you stay informed throughout the entire process. I know we have a great website coming for them as well. Uh, until then, you can visit nolcast.com slash loan. That's nolcast.com slash loan and that'll take you right to Chad's page and and you can fill out the questionnaire there if you're interested. I believe we are up to what eight loans uh who who've been connected with those guys through the Nolcast in, in just uh in just uh, seven short months. So very excited to have them continuing with us as a sponsor and uh and let's get to this uh, CBS survey. I've got the quotes pulled up on my phone. I believe you do as well. I do. I do. So uh, I honestly think that uh, I would have found this to be an interesting conversation regardless of where Willie Taggart ranked on it. I don't want people to think that we only are 
touching on it because of uh, of where he is ranked. But being that he's the Florida State head coach, we'll, we'll certainly not uh, overthink the room and, and uh, choose to start the conversation anywhere other than that. So uh, Taggart came in with uh, 20% of the responses uh, tying James Franklin of uh, Penn State, uh, the two other Notable candidates receiving a significant amount of votes were Kirk Ferentz at Iowa and uh, Lane Kiffin at uh, FAU, uh, those two gentlemen getting uh, 13% of the votes uh, collectively as well. Hmm. Ingram, I'm noticing something. <laughs> I'm sensing a trend in, in this. Uh, and the trend is, is not, is not the, the obvious casual racism that's going on here. Although that, that's certainly part of it. I, I think the trend is jealousy. If you, These coaches who are speaking anonymously, what do they think about these guys, right? They, they, they give these quotes about them. Look, they think Willie Taggart doesn't deserve the FSU job because he has a losing career record as a head coach. Now, that, that's kind of the lazy man's just soundbite that we, we've seen so often. They're not digging into the guy's record and seeing that he's pretty drastically improved every single roster and program he's been at. Had Oregon on pace for their best recruiting class ever. Et cetera, et cetera. As a Florida native with a lot of Florida ties and innovative offense that he has shown the willingness and ability to adapt to his personnel um, like he did at South Florida when his old style wasn't working. You know, with with with, with Kirk Ferentz, I'm sure they're jealous of that contract. Yeah, I was going to say, I know exactly what they're jealous of Kirk Ferentz about. Absolutely. That guy is is a millionaire you know, millions, <laughs> millions of times over. Uh, with Lane Kiffin, you know, I, I get that. I, I think they're probably jealous of how many second chances he's had. The guy's already been the head coach of USC, Tennessee, and the Oakland Raiders. And a lot of it's because of his last name. The thing is, with James Franklin, I I think there's a different thing. I don't think it's necessarily jealousy. I think that there is this idea here that coaching is the most important part of being a coach. But it's not. Especially not as a head coach. In fact, I would put it third. As a head coach, X's and O's is probably not as important as the ability to run and manage a program. And it's certainly not as important as the ability to recruit and hire a staff that can adequately, adequately recruit. I, I think this we, we've spoken about this before on a show too, man, about how coaches kind of just like they, they take recruiting for granted and they really shouldn't because it's proven kind of time and time again that it's, you only get 20 hours with these kids. Recruiting is more important than coaching. Coaches hate to hear that, by the way. But in college, the players largely decide the games. Talent wins. Lack of talent loses. Yeah, We talked about this when there was, what, the top 50 coaches. That article came out recently or something like that. We spent a, spent a, a decent amount of time talking about some of the assumptions. Uh, what you mentioned is exactly right. And uh, I think a lot of these coaches – assume that uh you know they're going to step in at a place like florida or florida state or uh alabama and that you just these programs start running these programs start running themselves on almost an autopilot and that's both a program management and and maybe even more importantly uh the recruiting facet of it and to an extent it just doesn't happen now you may be able to get away for you know, 12 months, 18 months, maybe 24 months, depending on how big the brand is and how kind of uh, monopolized a pool of talent that you can be lazy with before it starts to erode. But there's there's no position in the country that uh, that you can just put on autopilot. And I think a lot of these people are, 
kind of naive to some of the challenges that come with uh, the more grandiose positions in, in college football. I mean, see also what's happening in Gainesville right now. And, and I tell you, here's the other thing, too. You know how I know that these coaches are underrating recruiting? Look at who they've rated as the most underrated coaches in America. There's a common theme here. David Shaw, Chris Peterson, Dan Mullen, Pat, Fitzger- Pat Fitzgerald, Kyle Whittingham. I would say that all of those guys generally get more out of their talent than you would expect. The problem is... Getting talent is a more important part of the job than just getting the most out of talent. You've got to get a certain minimum level of talent. And I would say none of those guys in that list are truly elite recruiters. There's a reason they, they there's uh, zero combined national title rings there uh, between those guys and I think one playoff appearance. Now, certainly, there are none in the most overrated group yet either. Lane Kiffin at FAU is not going to reach the playoffs. Uh, Kirk Ferentz at Iowa Again, we spoke about how they're jealous of his contract, but Franklin's at least come pretty close to making the playoff there. I I think there's some jealousy. I, I think there's maybe a little bit of, of a race thing, and there's some taking recruiting for granted. By the way, I don't know if you saw this. I actually pulled up uh, last year's list. Let's compare. Jim Harbaugh, 13%. Uh, Nick Saban. Nick Saban, number two last year. Lane Kiffin, again. Lovey Smith. Again, probably jealousy that he got another job so quickly. Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Tom Herman at Texas. Mm-hmm. Hey, probably more jealousy there, right? Young hotshot coach gets one of the premier jobs in college football. These guys have been putting in their time with just you know decent results, not great. Probably not loving that. Uh, Will Muschamp, South Carolina. Again, another coach who got a, a second chance and maybe people thought he should not have. Um, now, underrated. It's the same stuff. It's this they overachieve with, with, with the talent that they have, but there's no there's no attention paid to the, the actual recruiting and the ability to procure the talent. Bill Snyder, Chris Peterson, David Cutcliffe, Ken Niamatololo. I see the trend. I do. I mean, uh, I don't know. This is this is kind of silly. Even the people who quoted or who, who commented on Taggart were they, they didn't really have great points. So the the specific comments about Taggart were, I would say Willie Taggart at Florida State. He was only at Oregon for one year, and it's not exactly like he transferred that program. And that's a place that's won for a long time. Not that he isn't good. He's won. But usually when you get a job like Florida State, it's because you've won some championships or done something really amazing. Willie Taggart, because he still has a career losing record. Those were the two specifically directed his way. The losing career record, thats uh, you already mentioned that. That's a, a very kind of uh, short-sighted and potentially lazy comment. To say that he didn't transform Morgan, he also didn't really have a quarterback, and it's only a year, and I'm not sure that I would list Oregon as a perennial winner, per se. Uh, so I certainly take fault with, with some of the – or take uh, – you know, in, in far from complete agreement with some of this stuff, although there is a, there is some legitimate uh, criticism, or I don't know. I could I can see where there'd be criticism in people within the industry who see a guy that was at one place for a year and then uh, found himself at, uh, at a position or a place like Florida State. Absolutely. Hey, guys, uh, make sure to give us five-star rating on iTunes. Uh, also, if you haven't checked out the new uh, Google... Uh, Google Podcast app, if you have an Android phone, we find that one's pretty cool, or Google Play Music, whichever one 
uh, you desire. So we, we like both those for for an Apple, or Apple phone, iPhone, iPhone. I think we call it iPhone. Yeah, I should probably know that. We recommend using the iTunes app. Those are probably the best two podcast apps out there. But we are available on all the major podcast apps, and we certainly appreciate great feedback whenever you get it. We we appreciate y'all supporting our sponsors. So uh, with that, we will be back with you shortly for another position preview episode. And we'll just uh, end on this one comment without uh, without any further uh, discussion needed. If you had the number one recruiting class in the country every year, you'd win like Nick Saban. He shows up at every single game with a better roster than the team he's playing. If you count cheating and get the best players in the country as part of a r- running a program, he's the best in the country. It's like saying an NFL coach is the best coach in the league if he gets 24 or 25 first-round picks every year. Quite the comment there, anonymous coach. Yeah, okay, well, so check this out. Jeff Brom and Paul Christ. I've always said, show me a coach that wins at Alabama and Clemson, I'll show you a good coach. Show me a coach that wins at Wake Forest, I'll show you a great coach. It's hard to mess it up at Ohio State and Penn State. It's really hard to win at Iowa State. This is another comment sort of illustrating the idea that these guys just assume that recruiting is only about the job you're at and that if you just take one of these guys that wins at a small job and puts him at a big job, he's automatically going to kill it in recruiting. That's just not the case. Recruiting, especially recruiting at a big school, is a different and separate skill set and it is one that is not automatically developed just because you won at a smaller school. I think there's schools this year, uh, big schools, who are figuring that out. 